Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. The origin of evil has always been a controversial topic. It is basically at the root of all world religions. What is evil? How can we define it? Why is there so much evil in the world? Is it possible to get rid of it? Well, it's quite obvious that man's attempts over thousands of years have been futile. Higher education, a better environment, more government policies, a great sense of community, self-actualization, All of these alternatives, and many more, have been tried to no avail. Maybe it's time we listen to what the God of the Bible has to say about it. Well, in a nutshell, the Lord Jesus stated quite clearly that evil comes from within. Out of the heart of man proceeds an abundance of evil and wickedness. Hard to accept? Look at others. Look at yourself. Honestly. That's all Christ wants you to do. And why? because accepting his diagnosis is the first step to seeking for the only solution, which is God's solution. Let's hear about it as speaker Michael Penfold takes up this topic today. Mark chapter 7, verse 21. This is the words of the Lord Jesus, and as you read it, those of you who are familiar with psychology, psychiatry, and psychoanalysis will know that the first few words of the Lord Jesus directly contradict everything believed in those fields in our modern world. For, says the Lord Jesus, from within, he's talking about the human heart, from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. As by one man sin entered. Notice those two words. Sin entered into the world. And as a consequence, death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Look down to verse 19. Again, referring to the same situation, Adam and Eve in the garden. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. That's you and me. So by the obedience of one, one other person, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. It is a big question as to if there's a God, why is there all the evil in the world? I can fully understand possibly someone raised in a non-theological background, not brought up to go to church. Perhaps there's someone with us tonight 
and uh, you haven't had a particularly religious background. And as you look around the world, you just think to yourself, we're in a mess. Turn on the news and there's beheadings and there's volcanoes and there's riots in the street. And there's just, some people say, I don't even listen to the news anymore. It depresses me. And then you hear somebody talking about God and God of love and a God of grace and a God of kindness and how wonderful God is. And they know God. And you just think to yourself, that doesn't make any sense. There is this all-loving, all-wonderful, all-powerful God. Why is there all this evil in the world? And so you come up with all kinds of arguments. Well, if there's this all-powerful God and yet he leaves evil in the world, then he's not good. And they have all these kind of ways of reasoning that there's no way that God and evil can coexist. Either evil is here so God is not good because he allows it, or we're going to have to come up with some other explanation. Why is they're evil in the world. The answer is in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Two words. Sin entered. Sin entered. You see, my friend, on a Bible view of the world, the right view, the only view, the correct view, the true view, when God made planet Earth, he made it perfect. And so when you look out on the state of the world today, you're not looking at the way God made it. You're looking at the way we've made it. So God created a perfect world. God created a perfect environment. Those dear fellows up there in in the Parliament of Canada and in the House of Commons in England and in the White House and the uh, Congress and the House of Representatives, you know what they're all trying to do? They're trying to create a perfect environment. If we could just give everybody a nice house and if we could just give everybody a nice car and if we could just give everybody... Not too too high taxes and a good education and free health service. Then we'll have a perfect world. The theory is, if you have a perfect environment, everybody will be nice to each other and everybody will be wonderful. It's already been tried. God put man to the test at the beginning of history. He created a perfect world. Mind you, it was a perfect world. The animals were not eating each other. There was a perfect environment. No sin existed, no jealousy, no envy, no bitterness, no war, no strife, no famine. Nothing that's evil now as we know it. The world was perfect. God saw that all he had made was good. And he rested on the seventh day. But something went drastically wrong. Catastrophically wrong. Sin entered. You say, well, exactly how did that happen? It happened in Genesis chapter 3. When the two people that were on planet Earth at that time, were faced with a choice. You say, well, why did God give them a choice? Why didn't God just engineer it in some way that they couldn't do wrong? Don't people love to come up with all kinds of wonderful arguments? Would you like to be pre-programmed to do right all the time? The people that come up with those arguments would not want to be programmed to do right. No, God has not put human beings into this world automatically to do his will. Nobody wants love to be forced. Nobody wants obedience to be enforced. No, God gave man choice. God gave man free will. So these two, our original forebears, the first two people that ever lived on planet Earth had a choice. Would they obey God? Would they love God? Would they reciprocate God's love for them? Or would they follow this other voice? The voice of Satan, the fallen one, who basically said to them, listen, God has put you in this world. He's created you. But you don't want to spend the rest of your life doing what he says. He's trying to spoil your fun. 
He's given you certain amount of freedom, but look at this terrible restriction he's put on you. He said you can't eat of this tree. It's ridiculous. You don't want to spend the rest of your life just subservient to this God who gives you rules and gives you regulations. He's just spoiling your fun. He's just power playing with you. You don't want to go along with that. Set your own rules. Live your own life. Do your own thing. Create your own reality. You'll be like God if you do that. You don't want to be the tail. You want to be the head. You want to be in charge. You've got rights. No one should tell you what to do. See, this is the great moment. Sin entered. And in that moment, revealed to us, is the very nature of what sin is. Sin is described like this in the, in the New Testament. Sin is lawlessness. It's an attitude that says, I do it my way. That's the favorite song in British funerals. I'm my own king. I fix my own destiny. This is the very core of what sin is. I'm not a dependent, created being, responsible to a creator. No, I'm independent. I'm autonomous. I'll do my own thing. Sin entered. Never was there a more significant entrance. Never was there a more catastrophic entrance. This that is described in Romans chapter 5 and 12. When sin entered. It entered the world, yes. The whole world has been affected by it. The Bible even says, you may not know this, you may come as a surprise to you, the Bible even says that thorns and thistles grow on planet Earth because of this. Nature is out of sin. Nature is red in tooth and claw. Not because of billions of years of evolution, no. But because of sin. Nature is out of kilter. Nature is upset. The Bible says the whole world is creaking and groaning. Blood of millions has been shed upon it. One day this world will be set right by the coming again of our Lord Jesus Christ. But at the moment it's suffering under the penalty and the weight of sin. But you see, when sin entered, Adam and Eve rebelled against God. When they, like sheep, went astray, they turned unto their own way. It didn't just affect them. It affected everybody. That's what it says in verse 19. By one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Now this is going to upset some of you, because we live in a Western society where we're all taught that we're all little kings on an island. And we're all individuals. And everybody's got rights and so on. And nobody likes to think that I'm affected by what other people do. But that's what the Bible says. By this one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. That verse is saying that because the first two human beings that lived on planet Earth rebelled against God, all their children were from that moment set down and constituted sinners. You say, well, what does that actually mean? Well, what that means is this. The moment you were conceived, the very moment that you first appeared on planet Earth as a baby, you had already got within you something the Bible calls a sinful nature. Now, you might think to yourself, I didn't become a sinner until I was 10 years old and stole a dollar bill out of mummy's purse. Until then, I was perfect. I was just, oh, if you could see the photographs of me with my lovely curls and everything, oh, I was just great. But it all went wrong when I was 10. No, my friend, it all went wrong 6,000 years ago in the Garden of Eden when sin entered. And sin entered in such a way 
that man became a fallen creature. And man has within them something called a corrupt sinful nature. Sometimes the Bible calls it the flesh. Sometimes it calls it indwelling sin. There are a number of expressions used in the next chapter, in chapter 6. And everybody that is born from then on inherits that. Here's the Bible's teaching on human nature. Our blessed Lord Jesus. Mark chapter 7 verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of man. Have you got it? It's not your environment. It's not because your shoes were too tight when you were a youngster. It's not because you're working class. It's not. It's nothing to do with that. It's from within. Well, but you say I'm religious. Listen, Jesus did not say for from within except if you're religious. Well, but you say I go to church. The Lord Jesus did not say from within unless you go to church. Well, but you say I go to the gospel hall every week. The Lord Jesus did not say for from within except if you're a member of a church. He is talking about the universal human condition. This is the declaration of the creator of the universe. Listen, he says, it's not what comes in from without. He was talking to religious people who were all into ceremonial stuff. If you don't wash your hands, you're ceremonially unclean. And they were all thinking a religious ceremony. He says, listen, 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 you're all taken up with something that's irrelevant. The real problem that you're ignoring is from within, from within. Doesn't matter how good people look on the outside. Am I talking to someone tonight? You are a respectable member of society. Everybody thinks you are a wonderful person and you have direct debits to 20 charities and you are just an upstanding one. Would God we had more people like that in the world? We understand that because society is good. But if you think that somehow that negates Romans 5 verse 12, but you say, I'm a good person. It doesn't matter how many times you say that to yourself or you say that to me. It makes no difference. You are not a good person. You say, how dare you say that? I'm not saying it. The Bible says Flip back to chapter 3. There is none good. No, not one. And you will never be saved. Never be in heaven. You'll never have your sins forgiven until you agree with what the Bible says about who you are. You are sinful by nature. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And you look around the world and you think, oh, wow, there's just problems everywhere. All of that is down to the same thing. It's the same problem in every single case. It's because man is a sinner. It may manifest itself in hedonistic, drug-infested youth culture. It may manifest itself in high-level political corruption, but in every single case where something's going wrong in this world, trace it back to the corrupt heart of the individual people that are involved. And here's what's so hard to swallow. We're all made of the same stuff. You and I come from the same clay, and you have the exact same nature in you that the worst wretch of humanity has in them. And what happens is this. People who think they're good, people who think they're religious, people who think they're nice, who think they're basically a good person, not perfect, but basically a good person, they look at drug addicts and they look at drunkards and they look at immoral people and they say, oh, look at them. Their drugs are going to take them to hell. Their drink is going to take them to hell. Their bad behavior is going to take them to hell. Listen, your faulty thinking that you are a good person is going to take you to hell. In fact, I would say this. 
it is more likely that your opinion of yourself as being basically a good person, that is more likely to land you in hell than that drug addict's drugs. Because if I go to that drug addict and say, you need to be saved, he's probably going to say to me, yeah, I need to be saved. I'm a mess. But if I come to you and I say to you, you need to be saved, you're going to say, me? But I'm good. No, I'm not a sinner. Well, I'm not perfect, but I'm certainly not so bad that I need to be saved. Can you see how that's going to land you in hell quicker than his drugs? From within. Oh, I plead with you tonight, my dear soul. You face this. If you're going to be saved, you're going to have to repent. I'm just a guilty sinner on the inside. What happened as a result of sin? By one man sin entered and death by sin. Have you got it? Sin entered and death by sin. Why is it everywhere you look, the whole of this world is marked by death? Here is what the Bible says. It's as a result of sin. Sin pays wages. Sin has consequences. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God, death was stamped on them and on all their children. Born with this inbuilt terminus on our existence, we're going to die. I wonder if you face that. You're a sinner and you're going to die. In fact, you're already dying, aren't you? We've all got that sentence of death within ourselves. It doesn't feel like it. That one day, because of the entrance of sin, because I'm a sinner by nature and by practice, I have a God to meet. And my religion is not the life belt that I need. And my so-called good nature is not the life belt that I need. I have nothing for eternity. I need help. I need salvation. I need a savior. Is there any hope for me? Yes, my friend. There's someone in our meeting tonight who knows that evil is not somebody else's problem. Evil is my problem. I have an evil heart of unbelief. I've sinned against God for years. I've rejected my need to repent and believe the gospel for years. Tonight is a night to face up to the reality. You see, I'm not going to heaven because I'm a preacher. I don't, we don't think that. What I'm doing tonight has absolutely nothing to do with me getting to heaven. Nothing. I am going to heaven, my friend, because there was a moment in my life, in 1978, sitting where that young man is on the second row on the far left-hand side of the hall, trying to work out this whole problem of how do I get my sins forgiven? How do I get saved? How do I know that I'm going to be in heaven when I die? And as I listened to the man preaching, he started to talk about what the end of the chapter here talks about. That as sin has reigned unto death, even so my grace reigned through righteousness, unto eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that night, that man explained that I could have eternal life instead of death and destruction, instead of eternal hell in the torments of a lake that burns with fire, justly deserved because of my rebellion and sin. He told me about a heaven, a heaven to which I could go, not by good works or merit or effort of my own, no but because Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he explained that the day Jesus died was an execution day. It was a day when men were led out to be executed. You say, why were they being executed? Well, there was one thief and there was another thief. In fact, they hadn't just been thieves, they'd been murderers. And they were being executed by the government, hanging on those crosses, People could go by and look up and above their head was a piece of paper nailed to the cross. And on it, it said, this is why this man is being killed by the government. He is being executed because he's done this and he's done this 
and he's done this. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die for his own sins, because he didn't have any sins. It suddenly came to me that night in the meeting. So the Lord Jesus is on the cross. He's being executed. But you can't put a thing above his head and say, he is being executed because he's done this and this. I knew right well that he was utterly sinless and holy. I had no doubts about who he was. He was a son of God. He was sinless. And I knew that the only thing they wrote above his head was, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. And I suddenly thought to myself, so he's on the cross. He hasn't done anything wrong, so he shouldn't be on the cross. It's all not right. It's all not just. It's not fair. And then the preacher very simply, he he just, he wasn't like me all getting carried away. He just mentioned it in passing and waltzed on to his next point. He says, when Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't dying for his own sins. He didn't have any sins. He died for your sins. And then he just marched on. Do you see what he said? He died for your sins. He didn't die for his own sins. He died for my sins. So that's why he was on the cross. And as a 14-year-old boy who'd heard the gospel all his life, that night, that happy night, the greatest day in my whole life, as a teenager, I understood. I don't need to go to hell. I've discovered that the Son of God came from heaven on a rescue mission to save me. How did he do it? He died, not for his own sins, but for my sins. So what did you do next? Did you go and speak to the preacher? Did you sign a Christian commitment? Did you say a prayer? I didn't do any of those things. I didn't need to do any of those things. I never even thought about it. All I was taken up with, not what I have to do, not some ceremony, not some... I was just totally captivated by this one thought. I am a guilty sinner, but Jesus died for me. And he didn't only die, he rose again from the dead, because I believe that too. I hadn't got a problem with that. I wasn't believing in a dead saviour. I was believing in a living saviour who had died for me. That's called grace. Grace. Undeserved kindness. Undeserved mercy. And the wonderful thing is, grace is always bigger and greater and more powerful than sin. Where sin abounded, where sin seemed big and black and great and ugly, grace did much more about. God knows every sin you've committed and all the ones you've forgotten about and they're all offensive and heinous in his sight. Such is his love and such is his grace and such is his mercy that he can abound over the whole thing and save you and forgive you and give you a place in heaven. Not because you're good but because his sinless son died for you on the cross. Will you tonight stop running away? Face the fact that you're guilty and corrupt and deserve to be in hell and take a saving look by faith to Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross and drink it in for the first time. He dies for me. Yes, the awfulness of sin and wickedness, it comes from within. But God's grace is so much greater than all of our sin. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, can cleanse you and free you from its awful bondage. The only one who never sinned, the one who had no evil within, has offered himself in place of the sinner. He can give you new life, 
new power over sin and victory you've never known before. Yes, the solution is God's marvelous grace. Do you know anything about it personally in your life? If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you would like some literature that would help you understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at anchorpointradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by Believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday, as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. If you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel or of gathering unto the name of the Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our Anchor Point website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. Our Anchor Point messages are also available for listening and download at anchorpointradio.com. My name is Glenn Todd. Thank you once again for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that Christ alone is the anchor for the soul.